So good morning. We are back at it, back to 1 Samuel. I'm Christine. I serve on the leadership team here at the Gospel Tab. If we haven't met, it's nice to meet you. Um, uh, Brooke just prayed for us, but I do ask, Lord, um, that you would just allow us to hear from you. I have a lot to give to you today, and I think the Lord has given just some wonderful words for all of us, but something might be particularly for you. So I just ask that the Holy Spirit would be upon you so that you would hear what he is saying to you. All I want for you is for you to hear him. So um, we're starting again our series in First Sam. And here at the Gospel Tab, we're coming off a long uh, summer of a topical series. We do topical and textual sermons. And we value both. We hear God by taking a topic and looking through Scripture and seeing what He says about it. We also hear God well when we study Scripture and we look at the topics that He brings up in Scripture. So we intentionally do both. And we got off of spiritual gifts and generosity and vision Sunday. But this is part two, part two, part dose. Of First of Samuel. So it takes a little bit of reorientation for us just to get back in it, which is. I love the big picture. I love it so much. I am not afraid. I want to tell you the whole Bible, every sermon, every day. So they said, why don't you just go first, Christine? And I said, okay, okay, I'll do this. So let me give you just a little orientation to where we are in the Bible and where we are at with God's people. So in the beginning... <laughs> God created the heavens and the earth. And there was creation, Adam and Eve in the fall. And man was separated from God, right? But then God, he pursued his people in relationship. He wants to have a relationship with his people, and it was broken. So here we go. He starts with a family, Adam and Eve. He starts with this family, Adam and Eve, and he, the family of Abraham. And he starts with this family, and he creates a people, and this people becomes a nation. And under Moses, this nation then goes into their promised land and their inheritance. And they're in a covenant with God. And he re he's restoring his relationship with his people. But then there's this time of the judges where things go in a downward spiral. I'm giving you about 1,000, 1,500 years of, of history, all in, in three sentences. And at this point in time, when the, the light is dawning on our story, we're finding these people of Israel kind of forgetting what this covenant was, not really following after God's whole heart. They identify with God, but they've forgotten who they are. And so we drop into this story of 1 Samuel. And we have found at the beginning of 1 Samuel that the people, Israel, now want to have an earthly king. They're no longer satisfied at this partnership with God, this, this theocracy where he's leading this group of people. He wants, they want to have a king. And in 1 Samuel 8.20, it says, the people of Israel want to have an earthly king because they want to be like all the other nations. We want to be like the cool kids. And we want a king to lead us out and go before us and fight our battles. So they no longer are wanting God to take his place and do that for them. They're saying, I want an earthly king. We want to be like these people, and we want this person to fight our battles for us. 
So let's just recap what we studied in the spring. I'm sure it's just on the tip of your tongue, what, the series that we were in. But let me go through just a few things just to refresh your memory. God raised up a prophet Samuel. Samuel anointed God's choice as king, King Saul. The anointed is, is synonymous, you're going to like this, with Christ or Messiah. Anointed. He's the anointed one. It's where a person is selected by God for a mission to represent him and to play a purpose in this world on behalf of God. So Saul is the anointed king, the one that God has chosen. So he's God's representative. And, he, and I just want to fast forward, spoiler alert, because this is going to play through all through this sermon. We who bear the name of Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, we carry the anointed one in us, and we are all the anointed ones. It is no longer reserved for special people, individuals in the Old Testament on behalf of all people, but we as the church, the bearers of Christ, not because we're extra special, not because we got zapped. Yes, we are special. God brings the special when he chooses us, right? He brings the special because he chooses us, and that makes us special, and we are his special possession. So we are all anointed ones, anointed ones sent out to the world. So Saul, he fails the test of partnering with God and representing God as this anointed one, and he does not represent God well. So Saul is rejected by God. You might remember when he was rejected by God. It was one of our cliffhangers, one of the last sermons, where it was his third test. And the number three is really important for testing. And God, he did not achieve what God had commanded him to do. He did not partner with God to execute the plan with the Malachites. And it was this epic scene. It should have been a part of a movie, right? He's turning around. He's like, forgive me, Samuel. Forgive me, Samuel. And Samuel's like, no. God turns his back on you. And he grabs his, the back of his cloak, and it rips off. And Samuel turns back and says, just as this is ripped off in your hands, so the kingdom has been ripped from your hands. Can you see the movie? Like, it's happening, right? He's like, oh, wow. Okay, Samuel is now, no, Saul is now the not anointed one. Do you know, like, anointed is, is synonymous with Christ, and now he's anti-anointed, so now he's, like, anti-Christ? I know, I, that's not me. I was given to me, but it's good. So here we have the anti-anointed. And then the next cliffhanger story you'll remember is this shepherd David being privately anointed. And he is still a shepherd, and he's young, and he's about 15 years old. And he's the youngest of seven kids, and they line up all the kids. Is this shaking something in your brain? They line up all the kids. Samuel you know, goes to Jesse, the dad, line up all the kids. Hmm, nope, none of these six. Somebody else. Is there somebody else? Well, there's the youngest. He's out in the field. The youngest, you know, birth order was a big deal back then. Big, big deal. There's the youngest one out in the field. Couldn't be him. I mean, anointed as king, Samuel. He's a big deal prophet. Call that one out. He comes out, stands there, and he's like, yep, that's it. That's the one we anoint. 
And so here we go. Years pass. We don't know how many, maybe two, four, something like that. Years pass. Guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. David goes back to being a shepherd. The, the sons or the, the other brothers, they're following Saul, the king, the publicly anointed king. But the terrain has shifted. In God's view, Saul is no longer the anointed. David is in the anointed. But in man's view, Saul has the position, and David does not. Enter our story. So, here we go. Our sermon's about David and Goliath, by the way. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. <laughs> so let's talk. Okay. Have you watched Wheel of Fortune? Okay. Any game show, basically, they give the contestants like three minutes, three, 30 seconds, 15 seconds to introduce themselves right there. So you, see, you hear like, I'm Hank. This is my beautiful wife, Tish. We have three kids. We live in Duluth where I'm a trucker. And in my free time, I play bass in a garage band. Thank you, Hank. You know, and they move on to the next person. They give like these things. These are the things. And this is their identity. That's their public identity. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm a da-da-da-da-da. But then we look at David. And if you know anything about the life of David in Scripture, you're going to know a lot of things about David. So I'm imagining David on Wheel of Fortune, right? He's like, I am David. I'm uh, the youngest of seven. Shepherd, warrior, musician, man after God's own heart. I'm a king, a poet, <laughs> worshiper, great friend of Jonathan's. And, um, you know, in my spare time, I, you know, worship God. Journey from town to town. You know, those kind of things. But it's really interesting. If you're thinking, like I was, I was thinking, because I had time. I knew what I was thinking about. If you're going on Jeopardy or some of these, how are you going to introduce yourself? How do you want the world to know you, Right? And we might come with our bullet points. I'd say my job, my interests, my family, different things like this, my public acceptable identity. But you know, we have a secret identity as well. We have a secret good identity, and we have secret secrets that we don't want people to know. And on Jeopardy, you may know about David. You may not hear David say, um, I was an adulterer a murderer. I was married to a gobble woman and I had a bunch of kids and they all fought each other. And you know, those kind of things were not apparent. He doesn't go up there, I'm really young. I'm a really young shepherd. I'm the least. Um, I'm not, I don't have an honorable job in this culture that values shame, honor, very important to this culture. So we all have those identity issues. We are all the whole package, the good, bad, and the ugly. So today we begin with this epic battle of David and Goliath, the anointed one versus the enemy. So you think we're there. We're not quite there. But now, here's this place. I have this picture of the valley where this big epic battle happened. This is just kind of background for us. 
It was actually two mountains with a valley in between. That's the actual valley where it was. I don't know what time of year it was, so it might have been that green. It might have been all brown. I'm not quite sure, but it gives us a visual. But this story is 50 verses long. It is a long story with twists and turns and symbolism. I cannot even tell you. I wish we could stay for longer. There is so much in this passage. Go read it. But I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a synopsis of the whole big story in case you've never heard of David and Goliath in your whole life, but that's okay. I'll give you the synopsis, and then we're going to drill down on things that were jumping out at me that I think might be important for us. So let's look at this. The giant Goliath, he's a tall guy, somewhere between 7 and 11 feet tall. He's big, and Israelites in that average height for a man was 5'5". Five five. He's a big guy. And we remember Saul. He's, he's probably 6'2", over 6 feet tall. He was a head taller than most of them. So here's Goliath, this big enemy. He comes out to taunt or shame God's people for 40 days. Do you, have you heard the days 40 days or 40 years or 40 days and nights or things like that throughout the Bible? This is like the number three. It often comes as a period of time that is testing, refinement, purification, and then tests also also come in threes. It's like the Bible writer's way of letting us know that this is a test, that this character is being tested. So here we have the anti-anointed, which nobody knows because he's the king-king, and he's standing out there, and what did they want a king to do. They wanted to be like the other nations, and they wanted the king to fight their battles. So now, in the view of all of these people, here's Saul for 40 days not doing what? Fighting their battles. So this is what God's anointed is supposed to do. And not only that, but this Philistine and the Philistine army, the enemies, are coming up, and they are not only taunting the Israelites, but they're taunting his, their God. Because in that point, in that period of time, your God or gods were only as powerful as the outcome of your victories in your life. So they're taunting their gods. And at the end of 40 days, Saul has again failed this test. And he has not fought for his people. So Jesse, David's father, sends David out to the battle to check on the brothers. Say, how you're doing? Bring some cheese. Bring some bread. David goes, brings this provision, drops it off. But he hears the enemy's threat. And this is the first time the anointed one is hearing the threat of the enemy over God's people. And he's saying... What is going on here? And so he um, hears this threat, and he offers to slay Goliath. He's like, I'll do it. This can't be done. This, this can't happen. I mean, he's maybe 18, 19 years old. He's still a little guy. Everybody still thinks he's young. So do you know what the king does, Saul? He says, here, put on my armor. Go out there and fight. And he's like, I can't. You know, he's shorter. It doesn't fit. It doesn't, he's not used to it. He's like, no, I can't do that. But here's the thing. What does Saul want for his honor? He wants it to look like 
It's him going out to fight Goliath. He wants to be the one that God chose. He says, go make it look like I'm defeating the enemy. And David says, I can't do it. Your armor doesn't fit me. Your method of battle doesn't fit me. Okay? I'm not preaching on that today. No, sorry. I can't preach on that. I can't. There's too much. Take it if you want it. Um, so Goliath <laughs> is called the champion. His name is the champion because he wins so many things. All right? He's called the champion. He's fully armed and poised behind his shield, and he prepares to pick off this annoying little kid. Right? He is dressed in uh, scaly armor. His name in its original language are the same letters as snake. Scaly, snake. I don't know. You make the connection. Not preaching on that. I'm not preaching on that today. Um, so he is the enemy who is the snake going against the anointed one. I know you're picking it up. But with one miraculously flung stone, the giant is slain. Let me tell you, there was... It's no big deal that there were flingers, slingers, you know, slings. That was common to have a slinger there. It was, it was, it was the least like, oh, we don't have enough swords here. Have some rocks, have a sling, see what you can do. <laughs> it was pretty easily defensible because the shields were like these full body shields, right? And they had these helmets with the nose thing on it. And so they would sling this, this rock and the only way that it could hit him where it hit him in the head and kill him was if he looked around to make sure he wasn't coming up from behind with a sword at just the right time that the stone would have hit right there. This is a miracle of God. This is not a great job, David. I'm not preaching on that today. So we're going to focus our attention on one thing. Before David slays Goliath and lands this, epic victory. He also goes through tests. So we're going to focus on this test. When David is, is directed, and he's the anointed one, he comes up against opposition from the enemy. He is tested with three taunts before he hits the battlefield. Three taunts of the enemy. And these are the verses I'd like. This is what jumped out at me because I think it's what we live through. I don't know if you do hand-to-hand -hand combat very often. I do not. I'm a flight attendant, so it could, it's possible. But I've seen the YouTube videos. It's possible. But what is more meaningful to me are these verbal attacks and these verbal attacks. So let's just look through these taunts real quick. The taunts of the enemy. The first one, the battle before the battle, was David and his brother. So David arrives on the scene. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, and I know how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch this battle. Boom. I mean, ease up, big brother. Ease up. 
So taunt number one is this angry taunt, and it questions motives and intentions. It's right down there. I know who you are. You, you are not this good. You are conceited, and these are your motives. That right there might knock me out, that test. So let's look at David's response. David's response to angry taunt number one. Now what have I done? I can't, can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else who brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David's response is to turn away. He turns the channel. I'm not even engaging in this conversation. That's David's response. That meant something to me. Let's look at the second taunt from Saul. 1 Samuel 17, Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Angry taunt number two. Questions your ability, your age, your qualifications, and your competency. You can't do this. You don't have what it takes. You're obviously not the right age, the right gender, the right position. You don't have the skills. You don't have the ability. You don't have the competency. Let's look at what David's response is to this taunt. 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned for me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied, shamed, the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. This is why we tell God stories. Because our victories, our past victories, give us present confidences. And your story is my story. When you tell me about God's provision in your life, I can say God is able to provide that in my life. This is who he is. Does that make sense? This is why we tell the testimony of who God is and what he can do. We can say, this is the situation I was in in my life. This is how God came through for me. And this is my testimony of who God is. And our story is who God is, not just my story. David uses my story. He says, this is what God has done for me. So I will stand on the character and the ability of God. I will not stand on my character, my ability. All right, let's look at taunt number three. David encounters Goliath. First Samuel 17, 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised or shamed him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with these sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. 
Taunt number three is intimidation, threats, and fear of the future. Do you know we prophesy life over one another, but the enemy prophesies death and failure and defeat? So he will come at you and at us and at David and say, this is what's going to happen to you. I, in our culture, anxiety is just filled with this. Yeah. Filled with this. When I am looking too far in the future at what might happen, that totally steals my confidence and allows the voice of the enemy to inform my present. Right? And that is the voice of the enemy, and the voice of God speaks truth over us. So let's, let's think of our enemies. Are they getting too close to us? Are they shaming? Are they coming closer? Are they shaming us? These enemies, the brother doesn't have to be our literal brother. It could be your family members. It could be our brother and sister in Christ who's doing the taunting. Could be the, the enemy. It could be humanity, any human doing the shaming. But most commonly, it's our own human faulty brain in here that gets twisted, that we do not hear truth, we hear lies. And so the enemy and the shame might come from an individual, but so often it's in our mind and the voices that we hear and causing us to fear the future. So let's look at David's response to Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord staves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands prophesy David now who's telling what the future is now where is his confidence lie he is saying this is the future God is the victor God is the one who is going to give victory to us and this is what I am going to do he is so confident in the ability of God, in the presence of God, in who he is in God, and following him. I'm kind of glad he was a little cocky kid. <laughs> it's serving him very well here. So David's response is to tell the enemy his future and who will defeat him. He hides behind the true champion, and he speaks the name of God. It is a mental game. We know who wins the battle and the victory. So let's just look at all this together for review. Didn't I put it on a chart. I love charts. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> Three taunts. The brothers, King Saul and Goliath. The type, angry, suspicious, and disgust, shaming. The challenge, he challenges motives, ability in your future. And his response, to turn away, turn the, cha turn the channel. 
His response was in God's ability, not in his ability. And, and the third response was in faith and hope of what God would do to his enemy for him. So let's just think about this. I'm telling you, it's so rich. It's so rich. It's so rich. It's lovely. Jesus was also taunted in the wilderness. Come on. He was sent to the wilderness by his father. He was sent to us, to his brothers. How is Jesus like David? Jesse sent David, the heavenly father sent Jesus to us, his brothers, to bring provision and encouragement. When he gets to his brothers, some of his brothers resisted him. He steps in and he fights the battle for his brothers, his countrymen. He stands there for, David stood there for us. Jesus stands. He came to give us provision. He came to give us himself. We resist him as well. And then he stands in the gap and he defeats our enemy. And even he went into the wilderness and he had three taunts of Satan directed at him. One, two, three. You know what the prize was for David to win? To win whoever, whatever man will fight this Goliath and win. Will get wealth, no taxes, wealth, and the king's bride. Do you know what Jesus gets? He has all wealth, all power, all dominion. He is the anointed one. And he gets a bride. We are his bride. So this chapter is not about the bravery or success of David. We learn some great tips. We can turn away from the enemy when he's fighting with our mind and when we're forgetting our identity. We can establish ourselves in the God stories and, and, and have faith in what he has taught us and brought us through. That, that is who he is. And we can speak to the enemy because we are the anointed one. And just like David, we are in a place where we are anointed but we are not yet installed in all of our inheritance and what we've been anointed for. So we, we know that David didn't fully obey his father. He was a cocky kid. He defeated the enemy and lived. So sometimes in our victory, when we have our victory, it looks like victory in front of all the people. And everybody cheers and conquers, and it gets this momentum going. And sometimes, in the case of Jesus, it looks like failure, and it looks like death, and it looks like sacrifice. So I just want to have us all remember that victory can look a lot of different ways. But in God's eyes, he knows Victory and the enemy will be slain. So we're going on. Just like David's the anointed one, we're the anointed one. Just like once the enemy was defeated, then all of Israel, all of God's people, were sent out to defeat the enemy. So are we then. Our enemy has been defeated. We are now sent out to defeat our enemies. We, he has been given into our hands. We're engaging in this battle. So welcome to the chapters ahead in, in 1 Samuel. 
As we look into this part of 1 Samuel, we're going to see God in the middle of it all. He's going to be guiding and helping and developing David. But just like David was anointed, he went through a period of waiting, worship, conflict, friendship, and battles. David doesn't become king two weeks after this battle. We're going to be going through chapters and chapters, years and years of David's life where he is going to be waiting and worshiping and in conflict and battles and in friendship. But God sees and affirms our anointing today just as God saw David's anointing and he affirmed him. And as God, as David went through this process, so, at, so are we, the anointed ones, walking through our lives, engaging in worship and friendship and conflicts and battles and victories and highs and lows. So there's a lot for us to mine here, but don't forget, it's not a story about David. It's not a story about, isn't God great for ancient people? This is a story about us. Yeah. 